Hi, everyone. Today's topic is on inner resilience, and everybody out there is talking about resilience in organizations today. But today, it's a different twist. We're talking about our own inner voice inside our head, our hearts, our minds, and our bodies, and how those come together that affect how we show up, how we live our life. And I think it, it is the perfect pairing of the topic of resilience because it starts within us fascinating topic with a wonderful guest, Amy Tyrion. Hope you'll enjoy. Welcome everyone. We're going to dive into a very important topic. It's finding inner resilience and every organization out there is talking about how leaders can be more resilient. People can be more resilient, but it's more focused on actions and juggling and grit and, you know, making all these decisions um, so you can do more. Today is really pretty different than that. And we have the perfect guest to talk about what's going on inside of us to become more resilient. So let me introduce Amy Tyrion. Hi, Amy. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Glad to be, uh, to have you here. And Amy works with leaders and teams to shift cultures for greater resilience, efficiency, creativity, and well-being. She is based in the Bay Area and has brought work and mental strategies to thousands across the globe. Most recently, Cisco Systems, Kaiser Permanente in Accenture, and world-renowned Bay Area medical foundations and biotech companies. She also had a tenure change management consulting career previously with Accenture, which is how our networks crossed, and was a member of the research team for Potential Projects book, Mind of a Leader, published by Harvard Business Review, which sounds great. She's also an award-winning author, certified coach, and all-around amazing person. What have I missed, Amy? There's so much I could go on, but let me stop there. What have I missed that's important for anyone listening to know? Oh, you're sweet. Well, I don't know if it's important, but it is a current um, theme in my life, which is um, that I'm a, a recent empty nester. So I have two daughters. They're both in college. And... Uh, and uh, it's a beautiful, it's beautiful to watch them in their next chapter and, and create mine as well. So thanks for having me here today. It's a real delight and honor. Of course. I'm so glad you're here. And talk about conversations on change, becoming an empty nester. That's a, that's yeah. a case study, huh? It is. It is. Before we dive into this topic, I want to also share how you and I know each other. So I don't know, probably over 10 years, Amy and I have known each other professionally and personally, but really we've been around each other in some personal situations due to a mutual, very good friend, Sherry Browning, who is a part of our people results team. And it's funny, we were talking about this. And I've told Sherry this many times, Amy, that you have this natural ability to just, I feel like the room slows down when you're in it. And you can bring a calmness and perspective. And so not only do you have tons of expertise on this topic of inner resilience, you also live it. And I've seen it and experienced it. So it's a beautiful thing. So that's why I'm, I'm so glad you're here to talk about this topic. Well, thank you so much, Patty. I just have to turn that beautiful compliment around and say, I too have witnessed you in multiple client situations where I feel like you are the grounded center of the room. So right back at you. And, um, <laughs> Thank you. And I do think grounding and centering is, you know, a key part of resilience, which I hope we get a chance to talk yeah. about today. Thank you. Well, let's talk about that. Inner resiliency. We both agree this is important. What does it mean to you? Can you just define it for somebody who wants to kind of think about it differently? Well, I can. I guess we maybe want to start with just this traditional idea of resiliency, which is this ability, right, to 
bounce back from adversity. And and there's actually definitions in the dictionary that talk about it as almost like a physics quality of being able to return to original size and shape after being compressed. And I just think that's so interesting because it assumes that we're going back to this original state, right? And we all have been living through this prolonged state of compression, but we know that you know nothing is going to be the same um, going forward. So I think of resiliency as what we all know, right? We have to wake up each day and lean into this future of unknowns. But it's not so much about finding this grit and determination to push through day after day. I mean, that sort of pulling up your bootstraps, you know, that we have to be careful because sometimes those are the same qualities that create burnout. And we are experiencing just significant collective societal burnout right now. And if you look at what burnout is, burnout is a state of mental and emotional and physical exhaustion that is brought on by prolonged stress. So I really see inner resiliency as this ability to, you know, create this home base within you that is um, kind of this expanded inner ground of stability. And it helps, it helps you self-regulate, admits the ups and downs of life. It, it is about attunement to your mind, your heart, your body. And those three elements really become something that you can turn to, you can count on again and again within yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about bootstraps because all of us who are get it done, make it happen, people, you know, that bootstraps thing, that's a tension in contrast as we dive into this topic. Can you just explain a little bit more about that? Well, I mean, there's an element of that idea, which is, first of all, about it almost implies constant marching in, in motion, right? So I think um, key piece that's required is slowing down. It's you know, this inner noticing, I know that you had, um, you know, a wonderful topic on this external noticing with Andrea Mayfield, and it's turning that lens inward so that you are able to be in tune with thoughts, emotions, and this physical state. And we are so naturally oriented to, I mean, I know at least I am, overuse our mind, right? Like we, we operate from the neck up. And so... I mean, I was working with um, an executive who we were, I was just leading her through um, a mindfulness exercise. And she said to me at the end, she was like, you know, I, I have asthma and I was actually in the middle of asthmatic attack and I didn't even notice, right? So this, this, it's amazing how often this idea of pulling up the bootstraps, we almost turn away from ourselves. We're so externally focused that we lose that connection that is so critical for resiliency. I think that's a really important point, what you said, that we are all so externally focused. I want to talk more about that as we as we continue on. I'm curious for you, how have has this you've obviously made great strides on this topic in your life. How have you done it? How has it change? Have you, were you always like this? How did it change your approach to work, to life? How did you get here? Well, I think my journey is similar to so many, you know, you and I share the Accenture um, background. And 
for so long, especially when I got to a position of management where I had teams of, of clients and myself, we would be, you know, we would be working so hard and earnestly and it took so much out of us just trying to get to these high bars and working in these complex work environments. And I so wanted to try to support myself and others more. And then I was in a role of actually sitting. I, my role within Accenture was the sort of the office of culture for the Bay Area offices. And I just watched the leaders scratch their head. Everybody wanted to move the needle and no one knew how. So whether it was managing an office or yourself or a team or a project, the typical levers around you know, moving either managing time with more efficiency or resources or, or, or what you produce, like there had to be something else. And so I ultimately found a mindfulness practice with this understanding that the resource of the mind and attention is, is such an untapped um, resource and it can be the cause of so much suffering in a way. So for, for me, it was finding that inner strength and inner fortitude, so to speak. And it took me getting ill. You know, I, I definitely was not listening to the whispers of my body. And I hope we get a chance to talk about that a little bit later. But that was a wake up call for me of getting an autoimmune disease, which by the way, more women than men come down with autoimmune diseases, which I think is interesting. And, and also just watching my own daughter um, when she was small and, and struggling in her own right to make her way and recognizing that it was a life skill. And I needed to figure it out for myself so that I could really support my children as well. And so it became getting to know not just my mind, but getting to know my heart, really learning about my own inner critic and being way more in tune with my body and being curious about what my belief structures were that turned me away from care, self-care. Let's okay. Wow. Okay. There's a lot right there. Let's, let's talk about this because also I do want to hear about, you know, your health situation and how it fit in, but should we start with, with, should we just talk a little bit about mind, heart, and body and how you feel, see those connected in terms of inner resilience? Yeah, I, I think they are all so interrelated. It's, it's almost not fair to talk about one without the other. If you think about it, you know, mind, our mind is, or, or how to hold our mind with greater awareness is to understand that, you know, we, we, we often are an autopilot where we put so much weight on thinking our thoughts and we don't pay enough attention about being an observer to our own thoughts. And that's where we, um, that, that is the sweet spot for resiliency where you can pay attention to, to your, your thinking in terms of, you know, is this rumination? Am I going over this again and again? And am I scattered? Am I distracted? Am I mentally fatigued? I might think I'm physically fatigued, but maybe it's really just my mind that needs a little break. And so having an ability with practice to be an inner witness to yourself, that is, the, that is what mindfulness practice is. And it is a practice. Um, it takes, it takes time. And um, the way, you know, one of the key ways that we often think about it is, you know, through the seated 
meditation and finding your breath. And, and the reason why that is such an anchor to, to caring for the mind itself is that it's a, such a brilliant tool, the breath. It's like, it helps you find this, you know, this anchor of attention. That's not your, your thinking mind. It can help self help you self-regulate your breath sends messages to your body. And so if you're holding your breath, it tells you that there's danger, even if there isn't me, you know, and um, it really just gives you somewhere that connection with the mind and the breath. It's, it gives you a break from yourself, right? Where you can go and learn how to become a little bit more still and mind space is a gift. It is a gift. And it is a hard thing, um, and you have to focus with do this with intention, right? And you, you've certainly done that. I want to to probe a little bit more. And when you say an observer to your thoughts, does that mean you you start with that awareness of I'm still thinking about the same thing that happened yesterday, and I've been replaying it over and over? Is it that kind of thing where what is on my mind, what is actually sitting there, what's flowing through my mind today and this afternoon? It is. And it's what is going on even from an emotional state, like being able, because our, our thoughts and our feelings are so intertwined, right? Like what's going on underneath my thinking, you know, sometimes just landing on the emotion, like let's say we get done with this conversation and I feel like, oh, maybe I didn't, oh, I, I forgot to say something, you know, maybe I'm, I'm going over it again and again in my head. And all I really need to do is notice that track and lift the needle off the groove and just say, what am I feeling? Like I am feeling regret or, you know, maybe disappointment. And what does that feel like, you know, in my body? And can I just sit with it and breathe and give myself a little self-compassion, which, you know, moves to the heart center around like, is it's okay. Like, you know, and then, and, and exploring the belief around that. Wow. Like, I really feel like I need to be perfect all the time and, and can I let it go? So it is this, this inner conversation that we can have with ourselves, but it's also just quieting the conversation. How do you, Amy, because what I'm thinking about the tensions with that of why that is hard and there are a million reasons, but the things that are floating through my mind as you're talking um, that get in our way and I'll make it personal to get in my way of that that person who is has spent so much energy on the doing, the busyness, and also, um, again, personally, the should. I am, I am the person, and I have been for a very long time, that has should on my shoulder. You should be. You should be doing more of this. You should, should, should. Usually future focus for me. But I'm curious, like, how, how you... You know, what you're describing makes so much sense. If you have those inner obstacles, how do you get there? I know that's a hard question, but like, how do you start to move the needle on that? Yeah. So you said, you just asked a lot, right? And I did. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. No, but it's holding it all, right? Which is an awareness of this quality of should and how it can trigger this whole inner experience that can wear us down. And in that wearing down, again, if you think about inner resiliency, that is the part that can work against us. Like how often we turn against ourselves. 
And so if I just go with, if I follow the thread of where you're going around the should, it, it leads us to the heart center, which is, is, is where we hold, you know, our emotions, our wants and our desires. And, and so noticing the quality of the inner critic that kind of comes from the mind, but it attacks it attacks our heart too. We don't, we don't, we don't spend that much time getting to know that part of ourselves. It's a really sneaky part of us. And it can be, it can be the critic or it can be the controller, right? Either way. So even if, 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 if our listeners, if, if one of you, or I, cause I know I'm one of them has a hard time just ending the day, um, you know, that's, that's a form of, of being controlled by an inner critic, like what is good enough? You know, when can I rest? And so I guess, you know, when you say like, when, how would you start? I think a really powerful question is just, you know, what is, what is not okay, you know, for yourself? And that's a great door to open because very quickly for me, I mean, I, it's not okay for me to have too many piles, you know, a, a dirty kitchen before I go to bed is definitely not okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, it goes, it goes very, and each one of those noticing of what's not okay is a opportunity to bring a little bit more compassion to, to oneself. That's really interesting because you're picking up, um, you're giving that example it's a small one, but it's one that creates inner, internal stress, anxiety that is very much, assuming, unless you've made this incredible gourmet dinner, it's probably pretty easy to fix, right? And so what, I guess, are you getting out that those small external things that we know are not okay or know create that inner discomfort and they we should know what those are and have a plan of kind of know what, how we're, that we're going to address them. Is that kind of where you're, how you're thinking about it? Well, as we grow as in our inner witness and we have a little space by slowing down our mind, we start to listen to our talk track with a little more clarity. I'm not sure we need a plan, so to speak. But I do think what you, what you start to practice is just taking a moment to challenge that inner critic and instead, you know, place a little bit more of a gentle message to yourself. And, and, you know, we're not, we don't, we didn't really grow up learning how to do this. There's, there's a whole science around self-compassion. You can take a course down the road at Stanford on it. There are thousands of bodies of research, a lot headed by Kristen Neff, who's in your backyard in, in Texas, um, who's an amazing researcher. And the science behind self-compassion really is leading us to understand like you need, you can practice it. You can grow better at it. There are techniques and strategies, but the first step is, is literally awareness is that mindfulness of being able to hear yourself and watch your own tone with yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is that the, you know, the inner critic, is that what you're saying? That yeah, it the self-compassion overtakes the inner critic. Self-compassion is really helping to manage that response. Yeah. 
helping to manage that response. And because so, so often we are so good at, at bringing compassion to others, and yet it can feel so foreign to bring that same quality to ourselves. And I'll give you a great example. I was working with a team and one of the leads was in Austin. Um, she lives in Austin and was during the the crazy polar ice storm that you all had. And, you know, we were exploring this idea and she said, you know, the, <laughs> the power went out and my team member reached out to me frantic because we were about to have a really big meeting with a client. And I turned, I said so naturally to her, don't worry about it. Do what you need to take care of yourself. Of course, I understand they will understand. It was so natural for me. No sooner that I said that, but 20 minutes later, the power went out for me. And I, and she said, and I watched a completely different reaction, you know, for myself. So it's, it's just really, it's an interesting parallel. Well, and what's the expression? Would you talk to others? The, the quote, I don't know if it's Brene Brown or whomever, but somebody that, you know, would you talk to other people the way you talk to yourself? And the answer is usually never, you know, of course yeah. not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you also want to go back and this may be really, I know we're kind of talking mind, heart, body. I'm not sure if this is mind or heart, but when we were talking earlier, one of the things you mentioned was the importance of expanding the present moment. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. Well, so the more you start to listen and watch your mind as you use it, you you might notice that the mind really has two favorite tenses. It's the future and the past. So our mind will naturally take us towards ruminating or thinking about something that happened or planning. Um, and some of us have a bigger planning gene in our you know DNA than others, but society also puts that in us, right? So research tells us that this wandering of a mind really creates an unhappy mind, even if you're planning a vacation, believe it or not, like it, because you're not there right now, right? So having this, this presence of practicing being here now is a beautiful way of living life, right? It's noticing the life you're living while you're in it. And it also requires noticing when you're not and just bringing the mind back to the present moment. And one of the best ways to do that, you know, is to stay connected to our senses because they are the, they are really the channels to, to joy and to ways that we can keep ourselves propped up in the moment. Like when you start to really notice the taste of your coffee. You're not, you know, when you're not on autopilot, when you listen to the birds out of your window in a different way than thinking that I've known that I've heard that before. You feel the softness of your sheets at the end of, you know, a long day when you crawl into bed, those are all gifts of the present moment. And that presence, then you can also bring to in your connection with others. You know, we, we often are multitasking and we don't, really take full advantage of the the connections that we have especially with with technology in between 
Yeah. And it, you know, it feels like, you know, distraction is the, can be the drug of choice by so many people. And I fall into this too, you know, with every device and everything, this is not new. This has been this way for a while, but you know, it feels like that is, if you think about the things that can get in our way, that's gotta be one of them. Absolutely. I, I really think about what gets in the way of presence and our inner resilience as being this, this idea of, of boundaries and two camps. You've got these external boundaries and then the internal mental boundaries. And we've sort of, everything has melded together. Like the, we know that now, right? So technology, you know, not having a hard stop at the end of the day. Sure. That of course that, that works against us, but our mind being distracted and, and looking for the phone, even if it's not there, is another boundary that we can work on. Yeah. And our beliefs, you know, again, it's just this, this idea around urgency, I think, is just another thing that gets in the way. Uh, the beliefs around what needs to happen immediately, this immediacy can take its toll. And I think it's important for us to challenge that. For, it, for us individually, but also as teams and as leaders and as, as organizations. Yeah, I think this whole, I think that's interesting. And you talk about, you know, connecting speed and perfectionism and, you know, I'm getting this done quickly and it's happening as fast as it can. And also back to your point, kind of the connection to our boundaries of, is everything urgent? Probably no. And, and we can, we have some influence over that. We can start to think differently about how we set those deadlines and with our teams and with ourselves, that feels like that's also a little bit of element of self-compassion there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the third one. You've, we talked about mind. We've talked about heart. Let's talk about body. And you referenced that you, you had a kind of an experience around this. Well, yeah, I think we all know how our bodies hold tension. Um, we, I mean, inherently we can feel it. I don't know that um, you know, it takes a little bit of practice to pay attention to it. And it really is an easy place that we all sort of push through. But I would say, you know, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, it's not, it wasn't life or death. I'm on medication. It's all good. But it was a wake up call because every morning when I take my medicine, which I need to be on for the rest of my life, I, it's like a, it's a reminder, you know, it's a, it's a practice of, self-remembering of self-care. And I would say, you know, if you think about what, what you might want to consider around tips, the question of what do I need versus what do I want is a really powerful one. It's been in my life. This idea around, you know, I might want to get this presentation perfect, you know, but right now my need is food. <laughs> I need maybe break would be good. Or, or I, I might want to stay up and watch, you know, one more episode, but I really, if I ask, what do I need? You know, I need sleep or, I, or even like from a heart centered place, I might want to get on a plane and visit my family and I, maybe I can't, but what is the need underneath? The need is I know I need quality connection. And so how else can I get that? And so that's been a, a a helpful thing to just stay in tune um, with myself that I, I wanted to share. We know sleep is important. That's obvious. It's not a luxury. It is, it is the way that our brain, it's the housekeeping function of the brain. It, it cleans up all the toxins 
the day we are sleep deprived, you know, world. And then of course, it's like this exhaling, which I said before, it's just, if you're going to do anything, if you can just practice exhaling um, and just noticing when you might not be, it can make a really big difference. I was working with a team in um, Bangalore, India, actually. And one of the women said that she uh, has to check her blood pressure every day. And just one week of starting with spending just five minutes with mindful breathing, which is finding the breath in the body, staying with the sensations of the body and the breath, not needing to breathe in a particular way, but allowing the body to relax and the mind to quiet, that her blood pressure went down, um, you know, within that first week. So again, what the connection, right, is there. And so paying attention to the breath cares for the body. So when we talk about inner resilience, your view is that all three of these, they all fit together. I think you said at the beginning, you're all so interrelated that, that if for those of us who know we want to find more inner resilience, we want to think about those three pieces. Is that how you see it? Are they, it, you can't take on one without taking on all? Well, it's a balanced view. And I would say that out of, if you think about it, maybe people are used to knowing that they, they, if you exercise more, it's good for the body. I know there's certain foods I need to eat. So the care of the body has kind of been ingrained in our society. We're learning more and more. It's becoming more mainstreamed to know that we have an ability to take care of our mind the same way that we can train our mind and it can be more healthy. We can change the inner state of the mind with these daily practices of sitting and being with the breath that literally can make us have a, a default of feeling more focused and relaxed. I think the heart is a place that is maybe the, the, the new frontier of having a practice of paying attention to, you know, your emotions and, and, and this idea of compassion as a way to build strength. I mean, we, pe- we know that people who are more, so- who have greater self-compassion have, they're happier, they have better connections, they have more joy, they have more engagement, and they're healthier. So there's something to that. So yes, all three are important. So think for yourself, you know, which is the, which is the lever that you think you need most and it, and it will, you can draw on them hour by hour. Mm-hmm. It feels like just listening to you talk, it does feel like they're very connected. It would be unusual for someone to be really focused on mindfulness and, you know, kind of like managing your, you know, kind of how you're observing your thoughts and not be connected to the other, the other two. So this is, okay, this is interesting. So I, you know, you said self-compassion is probably the one that's the new frontier to have you, but I have to feel a little bit the, the same way. If if someone wants to feel I I'm practicing more self compassion, talk a little bit more about that. Is it you know is it really starting with self talk? Let's explore that a little more because I think that is the one that may feel most mysterious. Yeah, yeah, it can feel mysterious. Yet it it cannot. Um, so. So self-care, 
is self-compassion, right? So if, if we take care of ourselves, that is a gift of self-love and self, again, I like to say self-remembering. And yet it's not enough just to have self-care. Getting to know the inner critic, like I said, is is something that isn't a fast exercise. It's it, I'm still working on it, but um, do. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that one can do it again is, is this idea of asking about for yourself, what are you noticing that's keeping you in these autopilot behaviors and what's underneath them? So if it's, if it's sort of workaholism, what's underneath it that you feel like you, you know, there's some, some definition of yourself that's re, that you're hooked into with that. But it can be very, it can be in the moment around, you know, it can be also about self-appreciation. Our mind has a negativity bias. And if we don't know that, then we, 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 we lose sight of the fact that appreciating not being in pain, you know, if our body is healthy, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm okay today. And my, my body has been keeping me upright and moving day after day. You know, I appreciate all that I've done so far, even if it's just caring for the small things in life. And so that appreciation and gratitude practice is also, I would say in that heart center that can really help be a buoy. Yes, I think that gratitude point is is very important on the heart. I can see how that will also you know, change perspective. I also like what you said about what are your autopilot behaviors and then what's causing them. As it, it sounds like that is also, if you're trying to really dig in there and see what some of the you know behavior changes you want to make, is that is that a place to to think about for someone that wants to? to make progress. Yeah. And that's a really, that's a really, you know, rich arena to play with. And I think, you know, just it's, it's okay to be playful about it too. You can notice if, if you have any perfectionist qualities, you know, that's a bar that was set that, you know, if you say what's underneath it, you can explore reasons why, but the bigger point is just noticing that, in this moment, how else might I approach this situation? And can it be okay? Can it be okay for me to take a deep breath and feel, you know, disappointment without, without being hard on myself? Is it okay to, to name that I feel a little fear about, you know, something I have to lean into at work? Um, and just naming it as fear without needing to, again, berate myself to make sure I get it right. So what's underneath it, I think, is the first thing that we that is helpful to name is sort of the emotional state and just create yeah. some space for that. We talk a lot about in, in some of our different, um, the work that we do about, you know, it's my expression of what do you carry around in your inner backpack? What's on your backpack that it doesn't really matter what the situation is, you, you're bringing it. And I think that also kind of touches on the autopilot, the perfectionism, you know, I'm always going to feel like I'm not good enough. Therefore, I'm going to overcompensate in other areas. So that this are getting into some deep topics here. But I do think I like where you're going of knowing what your tendencies are, knowing your autopilots can help probably make some um, some unlocks across all these three 
a legs of the stool, if you will. Yeah. I, I worked with um, leaders of a, um, of a really well-regarded medical and research institution for 10 months. And, and the reason that, that we were brought in and I, I was working uh, with potential projects for this, this client is that every year they have a burnout survey and you can imagine of all the professions, and this was before COVID, how easy it would be for physicians to burn out, you know, especially with life and death situations. And the top two areas that they self-diagnosed that was causing burnout, number one may not be so surprising, and that was lack of sleep. The second greatest factor was lack of self-compassion. And so it's just, it's, it's such a, a telling thought around how, how there's a place in everyone's life, like no matter what you're doing um, and how resilient or non-resilient you feel, you know, this is an area that I just invite you to, to try on and know that it has a direct influence on burnout. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering too, you know, if you think about the tension between the high achiever and the lack of self-compassion of, you know, you know, thinking about that for yourself, if you fall into that high achiever perfectionist category, that's how you see yourself, you know, it can buck up against that. So I want to ask you a couple more questions here before we, we finish up. And I want to ask, you obviously have worked with so many organizations, so many leaders, so many individuals that are trying to build this inner resiliency, improve mindfulness, get the three legs of the stool right. What do you see as the most common obstacles that you hear about or see when working with those groups or individuals? Anything come to mind? Well, you know, we talked a little bit about the the individual barriers around sort of this busy, this, this tendency to just be busy and the, and the boundaries. And when it comes to organizations or groups, it really then becomes a collective habit and collective beliefs that get in the way and collective norms. And so I'd say from that perspective, um, you know, recognizing that we all have an influence within the work environment. You know, we all lead by example and we all are sending signals that we all have an opportunity to, to shift and make small changes in our habits. And so I work with leaders to help them pay attention to what the signals are they're sending, whether or not they notice it. One engineer that I just remember his team for the first time when we were when we were going through some of these programs he he gave himself permission to take a walk at lunch and team never saw him leave his desk for years and he lost 20 pounds but he also then invited team members to join him and they would take walks together and then they started taking walks so i guess you know I'm, I'm not sure that I'm answering your question directly, but where my, where my heart and mind wants to go with this is just to 
invite everyone to to share and send signals when they find their own rhythm to really be an influencer for others. Like if you are taking a walk, you know, at lunch, let people know about it. And uh, we can slowly start to bring all three of our, our body, you know, care for our body, our mind and our heart into the workplace. There's space for all of it. I love that because I do like your collective habits and norms, but way back, way back to your earlier work. I mean, that's a little bit of a culture. This is how we do things. And it could be everything from, you know, the, the leader that's sending the emails Friday night and kind of expects that there's going to be some response to embarrassingly enough. When you're telling that story, I can remember I have a flashback when I was in, I'll say management consulting and it was a very fast paced. I remember there was a new guy that joined and he left every day and had lunch at Chick-fil-A. And I can remember us thinking, what the heck? Who does that? Who leaves for lunch every day? And thinking, you know, that that is crazy. And looking back, what was wrong with me? You know, because um, but that was not the norm. That was not the pace we were rolling with. And yet, you know. I had it wrong. Yeah, and why? And it's really interesting to watch those triggers. You know, sometimes the how we re, how our how we respond to those um, examples of others. It's it deep down. You know, there's a craving to be able to do it too. So <laughs> yeah, there's, there is yeah. there are there's plenty of opportunity. But don't you think some of the silver lining of this year is that we've all you know there I I do think there's a beauty in the fact that we're all working from our, our home space, that there's a new, there's a new opportunity for all of us to support each other. Um, yeah. I, I inner agree. And outer resilience. I know. Well, yeah. and as we were talking earlier, you know, you know, with the dog barks, if the, the child walks in, don't worry about it. It's no big thing, right? It's going to happen and it's okay. So back to the self-compassion. Okay. In the final couple of minutes, I want to ask you if someone listening is saying, okay, I want to do a couple of things. I want to start a couple of things to help me move on this journey of being more, showing more inner resilience. What, what will be a couple of things you would encourage others to try to make progress? Yeah. I would say slow down, get to know your breath <laughs> and allow, you know, practice stillness and know that it, it, there's a value. And then, you know, you, you'll quickly be able to notice what becomes available to you once the mind and the, the emotions and the body settle. You know, you might get a little more focus. You might get a little more energy. You might get a different fresher perspective and those all um, are part of what can support you from the inside out. Right. I think those are great, great tips. And I think, you know, as you're talking, I mean, I think every time I've had, um, I've made a big decision or a change, it really, this, this topic, right, is the conversations about change. And every time I think about any big change I've initiated, it's always been after what you just described time to breathe and think and slow down and know what matters. And we don't want to forget about it. I could talk to you a whole lot more about this, Amy. And this is something that not only is very fascinating, but is something I know for me, I need a lot 
of work and I want to make more progress. So thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. Before we wrap up a couple of just fun, easy questions. Okay. All right. Are you ready? ready. So (laughs) what do you know now that you'd wish, wish you'd known then? Well, I think similar to what you've just said, I think um, that there's huge value uh, to the space between our thoughts. I, I think I just, I, there is actually something, there's such a thing as overthinking. I really have a lot of value in, in that mind space and um, know that I, and wish I would known, wish I would have known that I could have created it a little sooner um, and that it was, it would have served me <laughs> a little greater ease. <laughs> yes, I, I love it. I love it. So, okay, second one, what are you reading, watching, or listening to right now that makes you think? You know, I I have a ton of books by my desk that um, aren't finished, but the one that, the one that I've I've picked up, I I really am thinking a lot about, and I think we all are this collect this idea of this gl- collective or global resiliency, and and I found myself uh, dusting off a favorite book, The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist, which I just can't recommend highly enough, and 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 looking at the relationship around you know, money and earning and being curious about things like, you know, this donut economics model of, of Kate Raworth's and how might we, how might we redefine economic prosperity so that, that we have ability to balance our needs of ourselves, of humanity and the planet. I mean, it's, it's the big question and I can't help but want to be part of, part of the collective scratching heads, you know, figure it out. I need to find this book. So it sounds fascinating and very relevant to even a lot of the things we talked about today. So, and I also have poetry by my bed. Poetry is a, oh. poetry is, is a super way to stay connected to my heart. So fast and easy. <laughs> fast and easy. Have you read yeah. Maggie Smith? No. I think, yeah. Shall I? I'll, I'll send you a link. It's, okay. it's, it's yes, super hers, wonderful. Little stories and poetry. Thank you, Amy. This is so good and so thought provoking. You're the perfect person to talk about this and, and it's such a topic that we all know we can, um, we can think more about. And so I thank you for making the time. And I know it's, it's gotten me thinking a lot. I know everyone listening will feel the same. Thank you so much for participating. Thank you, it's been wonderful to connect in this way. Thank you all for joining us today for Be A Wave Maker Conversations on Change. I hope you learned something new that you can take back and use. Please subscribe as we'll have more conversations on change coming very soon. Have a great week.